0: Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts souls, and minds. Hello, and welcome back to the Soul Grit Podcast in the new year 2022. This is Anne, and I'm coming to you from January 4th, starting a new year and thinking a little bit about what do people do in New Year's? People like to make changes and make resets. So I'm going to bring to you today a solo episode, just me, no interview, but I'm going to talk to you about five resets that you may need in your life this year. But I also want to just give you the grace and the encouragement that not everybody needs to reset in all of these areas but it's always good to take a little bit of reflection back over the past year, especially the past two years since we're starting 2022, because we know that 2020 and 2021 are kind of a blur. So take a little time to do some reflection and then walk with me through these five different pillars of how you can maximize your spiritual and mental health. Now, if some of this content seems a little bit familiar to you, you may be one of my blog readers. In August of 2019, I began blogging, and I continued with a weekly blog until June of 2020 when I launched the podcast. At that point, it was a little too much for me as a mom and as a private practice therapist to do both a weekly blog and a weekly podcast, so I just started focusing on the podcast, but just for you to know, there is additional content over there at soulgritresources.com, where you can read any of my previous blog entries. So this episode that we're doing today is going to be uh, pulling from some of the blog entries that I did about maximizing your spiritual and mental health and establishing a daily routine that would help you do that. So I'm going to go over these five areas Something that's been really helpful for me and my work with my clients is to kind of set the foundation in these five areas first before we work on any of the deeper issues. As you know, in therapy, we might be working on some symptom reduction if you have depression, anxiety, bipolar, any other disorder that can be diagnosed but uh, we also work on family of origin issues or relationship issues. But I often find that but before I can really get to some of those more uh, deeper, more difficult issues, we really need to take a look at your foundation. Because if you don't have a good foundation, you're not going to actually be able to make progress in those more difficult areas. So here's here are some of the foundational things. Let me give you a recap really quick. First of all, I'm always going to ask about your sleep. I'm going to ask about your nutrition. I'm going to ask about your social support, your movement or exercise, and then your relationship with God or your spirituality. Those are the five things. I have a client actually who is has a background in graphic design, and she was able to make a little design for herself um, that appears like a compass rose, like you would see on a map, where there's um, north, south, east, west. So she put these uh, five things with God in the center and then nutrition, sleep, exercise, and social support around the four points where you would normally have north, south, east, and west. This graphic that she made, she put above her desk area so that she can continue to look at it on a daily basis and remind herself that if these five things are not in place, the rest of the stuff is not going to be working very well. So let me go a little bit into each of these areas, and then I'll talk to you about how I incorporate those in my own life. First, let's talk about sleep. So the routines that you may have had in 2019, in early 2020, before the pandemic started, they probably don't look like the routines you have now that we've gone through 2020 and that we're, we've gone through 2021 and now we're in 2022 with still a lot of restrictions, a lot of time at home and separate from people that we love, but now we're looking for Um, let's, Let's start a new year. I wanted to just let you guys know that my first task when I have a client that's struggling, whether that's anxiety, depression, or relationship problems, is to do a quick evaluation of the physical aspects that go into good mental health and spiritual health. And I do include spiritual health here because you're not connecting well with God if your body is too tired or too dependent on stimulants to make it through your days. So the first of the physical signs I look for is sleep. The name experts give to good sleep habits is called sleep hygiene, which always sounds a little weird the first time you hear that term. It reminds me of dental hygiene, but that's not what we're talking about here. You can search sleep hygiene in your browser and find some really cool infographics that help you with your ideas to get better sleep. But here's one of the main points. Go to bed at the same time every night and get up at the same time every morning as much as possible. If you are a parent, you know the struggle. If you go to bed early, you have zero time to yourself. But if you go to bed late, you can't keep up with the kids in the morning. So find a good balance of having some wind-down time in the evening before bed without staying up so late that there aren't enough hours in bed. For me, that's usually 10.30 p.m. to 6 a.m. If you're operating without enough sleep, you will feel like you're losing your mind. Everything becomes more difficult. Emotional regulation goes out the window and your critical thinking Skills will tank. This is the number one issue to tackle if you are feeling like your inner world is chaotic. If following a sleep hygiene routine is not doing the trick, be sure you talk to your doctor about whether biological issues are interfering with your sleep or if medical intervention might be necessary. Additionally, you can check out a therapist who specializes in cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia, which is proven to help clients get better sleep in just a few sessions. Now, if you remember back on the Soul Grip podcast episode, number eight, I believe, with Abinye Onyale-Ossibaudu, Osibodu, is my colleague. She is a specialist in CBT for insomnia, which helps people get to sleep without any kind of medication or anything like that. If you're interested in that, be sure you go back and listen to that episode number eight. So I also want to talk about rest. So I did talk about sleep, but rest is something completely different. In Psalm 121, 3-4, the Bible tells us that God doesn't slumber or sleep. When two consecutive sentences are repeating the same idea, we know God really wants us to hear it. But we do know from the Genesis creation account that God does rest. Resting is different from sleeping, and both are necessary for healthy humans. Our busy, modern lives often prevent us from taking an official Sabbath day, although I believe it is something we can strive for. But what if your role requires you to work in ministry on Sunday mornings? Or what if you work in retail and don't have control over your weekly schedule? Sabbath rest is something we can achieve even in moments throughout busy days. Could you cut off an activity at a certain time each day? Refuse to work through your lunch hour? Put your phone down and play with the kids instead of using the time to catch up on emails and tasks. In each of my blogs and podcasts and other resources, I like to prompt my audience to come up with your own solutions. This is your cue. What is one way you can trade busyness and stress for Sabbath rest this week? If you have some ideas as I go through each of these five topics about how you're going to change something, I'd love for you to post it on Instagram and tag at Soul Resources so I can know that you're listening and that you're making some changes. Next, I would like to talk to you about movement because I think this is actually one of the next key points if you're having especially if you're having trouble with depression and anxiety that if you get moving especially just walking that this is going to help you uh, break through so exercise wasn't something that we talked about a lot in my home growing up although my parents did take us on daily walks or bike rides we weren't particularly an athletic family and i grew up believing that i was hopelessly uncoordinated and bad at sports but moving into adulthood, I was terrified of group fitness classes, and I thought the gym was pretty boring, although I've paid for my share of memberships. I remember learning somewhere along the way that vigorous exercise had a positive effect on mood, so once I become a counselor, I always recommended it to clients after asking them to check with their medical doctors, but I didn't really figure it out for my own life until well into my 30s. Before that, exercise was just a necessary evil to help manage my weight. Eventually, there came a time when there was just too much to do and too much that I was responsible for to leave my mental health up to chance. I started discovering that on my rest days, the days that I didn't plan any exercise, I was edgy, moody, and irritable. Establishing an exercise routine for even those rest days became necessary for me to stay present as a mom, wife, and therapist. I'll let you find the research on your own that will show you the benefits of different kinds of exercise for your physical and mental health. That's not really the point here. My point is that your body was created for movement, and our current environments are, for the most part, not conducive to movement, especially for those of us who spend a lot of time sitting in front of a computer screen. And I don't actually care how you move. I just want you to move. I want you to move your body in a way that feels good for you and that you are motivated to keep up. It may work for you to plan the same types of exercise daily so that you don't have to think about it, or it might reduce your boredom to change it up daily. A typical week for me includes a few neighborhood walks, a few strength training sessions, and maybe a yoga or stretching session thrown in there. I try to incorporate activities that are high in fun and connection, like swimming, boogie boarding, wrestling with my kids. One of my therapy clients who struggles with depression told me, Anne, I didn't believe you when you said I should exercise, but I wanted the process to work, so I tried it. A month into her new routine, she had better sleep, more even moods, and better self-talk, not to mention noticeable changes in her body. If you are caught up in viewing exercise as something that you do to make your body look a certain way, you're missing a tremendous opportunity to see God at work in your heart and mind. I've mentioned Revelation Wellness several times here on the podcast, one of the reminders I get often from this style of training, Integrated Faith and Fitness, is is that God created our hearts to be more open to hearing Him after we've moved our bodies. The toned body is a byproduct of the work that we do in searching for God through our movement. If you've never tried it, start with a walk in your neighborhood, do it silently, or listen to worship music and ask God to speak to you. Chances are, you'll learn something about Him, or about yourself, that you might not have received otherwise. Overall, it's been my personal and professional experience that those who have a consistent routine, including movement, are more able to handle stress and the emotional challenges of modern life. Whether you have a diagnosis like depression or anxiety, or you just want to feel less stressed and more like yourself, it's worth committing to the plan for movement each week. Now, I'm going to also talk to you about nutrition, but again, I want to... Emphasize that I'm not a dietitian or a nutritionist. I'm just somebody with a lot of experience of Well experimenting with my own body and helping people through it Truth is I love food and coffee and there are very few days when I don't have a plan for both In fact food has been one of those thorn-in-the-side issues in my life since childhood despite trying loads of dieting methods from my teenage years on It wasn't until my 30s that I realized that food was not just about being fat or skinny, indulging or restricting. Just after my 37th birthday in February of 2019, I hit a depressive episode of the type that causes lots of laying on the couch, crying, brain fog, and lack of motivation. It occurred just two months after a similar bout of depression that had fallen right after Christmas. Now, I know that lots of people have a hard time with the holidays, but I could tell that that wasn't the problem. It was the first time in my life that I realized that my holiday sugar binge had consequences other than an expanding waistline. My festive indulgences actually impacted my mental health. My mood was low, and I considered whether medication was necessary. But within a week or two of turning my eating around, my mood was back to baseline, It proved to me that food has an impact on mood. Around the same time, one of my best friends was also struggling with her mental health, which fluctuates between depression, anxiety, and bipolar symptoms. A couple of weeks of a Whole30-style eating plan had leveled her mood out and made her feel more capable of handling the ups and downs of life. Whole30 is an elimination plan that starts by removing all types of food that are likely to cause allergic or inflammatory reactions in the body, including grains, sugar, alcohol, caffeine, dairy, legumes, and then followed by a slow introduction of certain foods to determine the body's sensitivity to each. While a strict Whole30 is difficult for most modern eaters to keep in compliance, even moderate reductions in these trigger ingredients can improve overall health, including mood. Based on these experiences, it seems to me that the grown-up thing to do is to pay attention to how food makes us feel, not just how it satisfies hunger or how it contributes to a certain body shape, although these things often go together. And the reason that I say that it's the grown-up thing to do is that many of us have an inner ch- child that craves Pop-Tarts and Cheez-Its. In the same way, I coach my children to make healthy choices and to prioritize nutrient-dense foods before treats. I have to reparent my rebellious self in the same way. From a mental health perspective, I counsel my clients to review their eating habits and consider how both their patterns of eating and their food choices could be impacting their mood or anxiety levels. Since I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian, I can never give specific advice or create eating plans for my clients. However, I can point them to general information and resources and even refer them to a nutrition professional if needed. It is always worth an experiment, at least, if you are struggling with your mood, energy levels, brain fog, irritability, or other symptoms. A diet cleanup can go a long way. There's plenty of research out there that shows that dietary changes can help with all kinds of psychological or neurological syndromes, from ADHD to autism spectrum disorders, as well as hormone disorders accompanied by depression or anxiety symptoms, such as premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is PMS on steroids, and thyroid disease. So why not try it for yourself? Besides just evaluating what we eat, some of us also need to look at how much we are eating. Your brain and your body will interpret undereating as a form of stress, a threat to your existence, and it will shut down systems in accordance with the lack of resources you provide it. That means if you don't have enough calories, your body will save energy for things like breathing and heartbeats, not critical thinking. Similarly, you can really throw your body off by overfeeding it to the point of hormone imbalance and a whole host of other problems. Now, this next part I'm going to be preaching to myself. Ouch. It's going to be about caffeine. Our culture is inundated with caffeine choices, from low-level teas and chocolate to heavy hitters like coffee and energy drinks. It's pretty standard that church, meetings, social gatherings all include coffee, coffee, not to mention those little uppers known as donuts in between church services. Coffee is as much a habit as a need for me to feel normal in the morning. And my mornings last until lunchtime, if you know what I mean. Then I have a window from 1 to 4, in which I allow myself one can of Diet Pepsi. I don't do energy drinks, but I know that it's common to use any of these powerful cans of pick-me-up to make it through our busy lives. Excess use has been linked to myriad health issues. Yes, I know that I have an issue with caffeine. I'm being transparent here, but let me preach a little too. Caffeine is one of the biggest culprits in exacerbating daily anxiety. In fact, if you've been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, it's probably a good idea for you to cut out caffeine altogether. On the other hand, if you have an unmedicated attention deficit disorder, caffeine may be the only thing that allows you to get your adulting done. I've had clients who had comorbid, meaning existing together, anxiety, and ADHD, which caused a major problem. Caffeine snaps the ADHD brain into gear, but it also exacerbates anxiety symptoms. The clients had to experiment with tolerable levels of caffeine as well as medication and other changes in order to manage both disorders at once. Maybe you don't have a diagnosable illness, but just feel edgy. You know, there's a pandemic going on. It's worthwhile to experiment with your caffeine intake along with other aspects of your daily nutrition. And as long as we're talking about uppers, let's talk about downers too. Yes, I mean alcohol. Within the Christian community, there's a wide range of beliefs and practices in regards to alcohol. So I'm not here to argue theological or moral aspects, nor do I need to explain the family and community impact of alcohol abuse. I'm simply here to remind you that what you put in your body impacts your mental health. If you already struggle with depression, drinking alcohol might sink you deeper. And if you're manic, drinking alcohol may lower your inhibitions even more, permitting behaviors that are going to make you feel even worse when the episode is over. If you're anxious and alcohol is the only thing that lets you unwind in the evenings, it's worthwhile to work with a therapist who can help you learn some additional skills for managing stress and anxiety, such as mindfulness, cognitive behavior therapy, and grounding. The after effects of alcohol are problematic for mental health as well. Having a clear mind and a clear conscience is crucial for our mental health. And throughout this time, I've been careful not to recommend a particular eating plan, a specific range for your caffeine intake, or whether you should or shouldn't drink alcohol. I'm simply asking you to consider for yourself, in your unique context, what are the best ways to ensure your mental health as far as it's determined by your nutrition. There are many other factors to mental health, including genetics, social interaction, spiritual life, therapy, and medication, to name a few. With my friends and clients, I like to rule out some of the basic biological functions before moving on to psychiatric diagnosis and treatment. Before moving on to the next two of those five pillars that I mentioned in the beginning, I think I'm going to cut this episode off and save those next two parts for next week's episode. So just so you can plan, take a look at your sleep, your nutrition, and your movement this week. And next week, plan to look at social support and spirituality. And I will have more tips on how you can think about those things and how to make changes on those things. But for now, I wanted just to leave you with some of these thoughts about those physical parts that you do have some control over. Sometimes when we're dealing with mental health or emotions, it feels really out of control. But I want to remind you that some of these things we do have quite a bit of control over. If you're having trouble figuring out how to get more sleep, how to get better sleep, how to eat in a way that your body will respond the way you want it to, and how to incorporate movement, there are lots of resources out there to help you. If you're having trouble finding them, just scroll through some of the previous podcasts and blogs that I've posted. And if you still don't know where to start, I encourage you to reach out to your doctor, to a therapist in your community, or even to a Revelation wellness instructor that might be able to help get you on the right track. So now I'm going to wrap this up, but I also wanted to tell you Besides that next episode where we're talking about social support and spirituality, there are lots of good things coming in the new year for the Soul Grit Podcast. I've got a pastor who takes meds. I've got an author that is going to talk about your calling and your anointing to do what God has called you to do. And much, much more. But I also love your interaction. So please tag me. If you're listening to the Soul Grit Podcast, you can tag at Soul Grit Resources on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook and you can send an email to info at com. I'd love to be connected with you. Happy New Year. Thanks for being here with me today on the Soul Grit Podcast. I just wanted to give you a reminder that you can sign up to receive weekly emails from me by going to soulgritresources.com. I promise not to spam you, and I also promise to make you aware of valuable new resources such as podcast episodes, blogs, and more. Let's be friends. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at SoulGrit Resources. You can email me at infosoulgritresources.com. At